Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am your host, Barnabas Piper. While Ted is off doing his July thing and speaking at camp, I think it's Camp Barakel in Michigan. I think this is the, the annual trip up there that he loves and adores and is and is so consistent at. Here with Ronald J. Martin, as usual. Ronnie, how are you? Hey, man. Doing good. Hanging. How's, uh, how's sabbatical and where are you geographically as we record this? So this was more of what I call a stay-batical. So we kind of, we, we've taken uh. some road trips, but it's primarily been at home, which has been super weird and not all bad, but challenging in some ways, right? If you're looking to kind of get away, reset, refresh, harder to do that when you're just at home. Um, so those have been some of the challenges, but ultimately, you know, ultimately it's been good. And we're here the last probably three weeks to a month left. And um, yeah, so, so far, so good. Okay. So, so you, you have not been jet setting. You have, you have been just like closing the shades and hiding from neighbors. That's been more the tone of this sabbatical. Yeah. I mean, kind of, you know, like we, we took some road trips and, you know, we, you know, we've gotten out of Dodge quite a bit. Um, and, but we have spent a lot of time at home. And, you know, our church did this, uh, we've done, we did one five years ago and, you know, so our church kind of is, un- they know the rules. So, you know, no- nobody bothers us and, you know, but we're in a small town, so we see people, which is great, you know? And, uh, so we're not trying to hide away necessarily, but everybody knows that, you know, we, they do, you know, we just keep it, uh, we keep it on the, on the sort of the friendly tip and kind of keep ministry out of the equation. Not really that difficult. Um, so for all of that, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been fine for sure. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear your church treats it well and doesn't sort of infringe upon the, uh, the boundaries of that thing. I, I'm also yeah. glad for the timing of your sabbatical because it leads me to believe that you will come back, uh, refreshed and renewed, ready for our September live show. Oh which, man, absolutely. Yeah. I, which is good because a refreshed Ronnie is a, is, is what we need to, to land the plane <laughs> on this, on this 10 year podcast, uh, run. And, uh, so listeners, if you haven't heard, uh, which just means you've been skipping the last several episodes, which we can't begrudge you at summertime, but also go back and listen. They're good episodes on September 24th. That is a Sunday evening. We will be hosting our last ever live show. It will be at Soma Church Midtown in Indianapolis. It's on the eve of the Gospel Coalition, and uh, we that will be that will be the final recording of the Happy Rant podcast. We are riding off into the sunset with a big bang at that show, and uh, we're we're really looking forward to it. it. Should be a lot of fun. We're actually going to try to do a little show prep for this, so that so that maybe it's not just utter chaos, um, but also leave yes. plenty. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I say try to do show prep. That means we've texted about potentially doing show prep, which that might be the extent of it. We shall see. Um, we should have a couple sponsors <laughs> who are giving stuff away. Josh Byers of Visual Theology is designing some custom T-shirts that you, if you go to thehappyrant.com, you hit live show. There is a custom ticket package where you can purchase your tickets there. And one of those includes that T-shirt. So you put in your size and everything, and then you will get one that is, it is unique to this event. Uh, and Josh does great design work. Uh, so again, go to thehappyrant.com, hit live show, check it out. We would love to see you out there. Indianapolis is a fairly easy drive from like three quarters of the country. So even if it's a bit of a road trip, come on out and join us on September 24th for the live show. Uh, Ronnie, what, uh, is there anything particular you are excited about for this live show other than we never have to do another one? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's key. Uh, you know, I think that's key. Uh, you know, I, well, let's not paint it so negatively, but um, yeah, <laughs> I feel know, like Ted's not here. So we have to paint something negatively. Like, I feel like I have to kind of step into his shoes. You know, I, I think I've, I've gone back and forth on the live shows. Um, I, you know, I love being with people. I love interacting with people. I love performing and being in front of people. Um, the live shows, you know, it, it's a, it's a weird dynamic, right? Because it's the only time that we're actually looking at each other while we're doing the, 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 you know, the pod. 
And so I think the results can be, you know, the results have been all over the map for me. You know what I mean? So in other words, like when we're having an awkward moment, like, you know, if it's an awkward moment, you know, in this format, it just doesn't matter. And we've had plenty of those. <laughs> if it's an awkward moment and, you know, Ted's like kind of going after me and I'm trying to respond and he gets passive aggressive, like he tends to do a lot of times, like, you know, what do we do in front of, you know, 150 or 200 people? Um, yeah, I don't know. We got to fake it. We got to pull it off. So I think what I'm looking forward to is that since this is the last pod, if anything awkward kind of jumps up, we can just, we don't have to be so careful, right? We can just kind of say, hey, you can just, we can just kind of throw it all out and say, you know, um, this is, I'm going to air my grievances right now. So I, I mean, it could get, it could get, you know, a little verbally violent. You know, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. But we should can happen, we should do a you know? Festivus episode uh where it's just the airing of grievances. That could we be could. one of our one of our segments. I don't think See, that's look, a bad show idea prep at listeners, all. we're doing it right now. We're doing it right now. But here's my question for you before we uh, go go to a break is um what what is the thing what is the thing that you're gonna miss as we uh mm. you know call it quits? Um, I'm not hesitating to answer because the list, because it's hard to come up with any as much as trying to, trying to rank some things. I mean, very practically speaking, we have been doing this basically week in and week out for almost a decade. You know, all of us have missed a week here and there for things, but I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rhythmic midweek, carve out an hour and do this thing. And, and it's even shaped how I interact with, uh, like sort of just the Christian culture around me. Cause I look at stuff and I go, that would be a good podcast topic. You know, somebody raises a question. I'm like, that's what I'm going to throw to the guys on the podcast because that's a funny question. And, and all that goes away. So I, I lose the, you know, I lose the, the me, like what is my outlet for talking with right. two guys who are smart and funny and who I respect and who have become friends over the years to say, Hey, I heard somebody say this. What do you guys think about this? Or, hey, my kid did this ridiculous thing. How do you guys handle it, you know, as a dad in that situation? And some of that stuff that, like, where's the outlet? Who who do yeah, I talk to about yeah. that stuff? Unless I'm just, like, doing a bit in the office, which annoys everybody. I love how, like, yeah, I love how we're in a world now where, where you're, like, basically saying, hey, if I don't have a podcast, what do I do with real world problems? <laughs> Who do I converse with if I don't have podcast co-hosts? <laughs> this, is, this is such this is this is such the world we live in. What you just said—that is so funny, man. Oh, what, man. what are you gonna miss? Oh, I don't know. I you know, I gotta say, you know, so this is some of the stuff that we might even be able to talk about on the twenty fourth of September. But um, I think, and I would, I want to hear from our listeners on this, but, um, I think that, I think that the pod has shifted quite a bit. And mm -hmm. I think, I think some of that early kind of comedic energy we had has definitely kind of faded a little bit. Not that we don't look at things, you know, with, with those kinds of eyes we do, but, um, it's, it's, it's harder to kind of keep that going. And, um, and you, and especially when you're kind of just coming in and it's like you said, it's, it's become a rhythm it's become something that we're kind of knocking out. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of miss those early days where we were, our hot takes were far more like, let's just find a really funny hot take. And yeah. I think with time and maturity and then also realizing, well, sometimes, you know, that some of those things were probably a little insensitive in some ways and we don't want to, it's okay to be a little insensitive here and there for the sake of, you know, humor, especially if it's, if it's just, if it's, if it's not harmful, and then I, right. so obviously we've kind of come back from that quite a bit, but it's also, I wouldn't say it's made the pod more serious, but it's definitely made it a little more conversational, which is not yeah. a bad thing, but there's definitely been a shift. So I, I do miss some of that from the early days um, because that was, you know, the, the pod was kind of built on this. We don't take everything so seriously, including ourselves. Let's kind of find the humor in this. And now we just, we're just a little more, I think, self-reflective now. So I do kind of miss that from the early days. Well, and, and there, there, I mean, you think about when we started this, I mean, it was, it was 2014, real early 2014, I think when the podcast launched. So, um, nine and a half years ago and nine and a half years ago, things were funny that aren't funny anymore. You know, 100%. When, 
when a pastor said something stupid, you didn't immediately think abuse. You immediately thought, what a jackwagon. Like, let's laugh at this guy. <laughs> now you hear it and you're like, oh, no, another church yeah. is about to implode. Like, <laughs> there's just there's a greater sense of awareness. There's there's all of this stuff like Mark Driscoll was funny nine years ago. He's not funny anymore, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, you go back and listen to some of the bits that we did and you're like, it's like all comedy in its time and place. It worked, but it doesn't work now. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, so we've had to change to change tack and 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 kind of become the like, how do we maintain lightheartedness in the midst of a world where everything is offensive? And that's yeah, I it, it is tiring. It, I would say much more than it, than it is exhilarating. What try, try yeah, to navigate that, that that's, now? That's a good way to put it. More tiring than exhilarating, for sure. Well, that will be. Uh, we shall see if we if we talk through some of that. I'm sure. I'm certain we will do some nostalgic reflection because there's nothing my two Enneagram Four podcast co-hosts love more than nostalgic reflection at the live yeah, show, no. September 24th. Go to thehappyrant.com. In just a moment, we uh, we have some we have some. Well, I hope they're fun topics. They're at least interesting to me. One is we're going to talk about the Barbenheimer phenomenon. We're going to talk about Elon Musk rebranding Twitter and probably ruining everything. And then we're got, we got some questions about seminaries. So let's take a quick break and then come back with those. All right, uh, Ronnie, my exposure to the, the Barbenheimer phenomenon exists entirely in the world of, of memes and reaction yeah. to memes, you yeah. know, where you have a picture of smiling Margot Robbie next to grim Killian Murphy, or is it Killian or Cillian? It's Killian. Killian. Okay. I'm glad I got it right the first time. And yeah, then I second guess myself. You look at it, do you that. want to say Cillian, I get it. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, what what people think parenting is going to be like, what parenting is actually like, and so forth. So, and, and then I haven't seen either of these movies, but you can't, if you, if you have the internet, you can't have missed it. So I, I, I just have a very, like, I guess the question is very open-ended, sort of your, your observation of an interaction with this phenomenon. And then have you seen either of these movies and what did you think? Yeah, I think it's super fun, right? Because, you know, you you go back to like summer blockbusters and that's it's that's been pretty like flat and, you know, kind of dry, you know, the last I don't know how many years and there's you know, there's kind of your your you know, you know, everybody looks forward to like big movies, fun movies, um, you know, people love to be excited about the movies. It seems like there's been a little bit of a of a lack of that compared to the way it used to be when we look at some of these massive movies from the past. And so it's coming into the summer and you have so weirdly you have these two movies that couldn't be more opposite and yet for you know for most people there's a general interest in both for different reasons and so um i just thought that was super interesting you know and so you got this really light fluffy you know barbie movie and just this super dark heavy you know oppenheimer film and yet everybody's like Hey, I'm just excited for both for different reasons. I'm even going to, you know, I'm going to watch, you know, and it, it turned into this cultural moment where it's like, you know, dude, we're going to see both movies on the same day. We're going to literally waste our entire day on two movies, as my wife would say, you know. And um, so I, I thought that was fascinating. And it was just kind of fun because, you know, there's nothing behind it. And I think like Pipe, it's weird for us to be. It's it's weird for us to kind of see little like cultural moments and phenomenons where like it doesn't get painted so negative. It's just like, hey, you know, you can go see a movie. You can go see two movies. These are movies that have carried a lot of interest, uh, you know, for the general public. And hey, you can make just a super fun day out of it and see both movies. And part of the the fun is that it, they couldn't be more polar opposite. Yeah. And, but yet everybody's embracing that. And so I think I, I think I like that it's kept the, the whole phenomenon has sort of like kept its good humor and everybody's having a good time with it. And I just I think it's really I think it's really fun. So, yeah, I saw um, I saw the second part of your question. I did. I haven't seen Barbie. I saw Oppenheimer, which was just phenomenal. I mean, it's like uh, um, I'm not saying it's my favorite movie of all time, but it's like it's a masterpiece and um, it gets you thinking. And it is, it's sober, it's dark. Um, there's also some light moments in it. You know, he, uh, Nolan infused some, just some really subtle, like humorous moments in it with the characters. 
but it is just, I mean, you know, you're seeing a guy, I think, you know, when you talk about Nolan, you're just, you're seeing a guy who is like at his peak right now. And um, I don't know that anybody could have pulled off that movie the way that he did, which is he does this thing in his movies again, love him or hate him. He does this thing where he just sort of builds and builds. And there's this sense of dread where you know what's coming, you know what's coming. And I, he just does this really, really unique thing. And you just, you're on the edge of your seat. And um, definitely for this movie, you are just on the edge of your seat. So, I, you know, we, uh, three and a half hours of our life that we can't get back, according to Big M. And, um, I, you know, she, she had to suffer through it because she does not like going to the movies. And she certainly does not like going to long movies. And this was the just <laughs> grandmother of long movies. And so we did it. We did it. And um, I had to get her the, I had literally had pipe. I had to go to the nicest theater we could find that had the recliner seats so that it was just pure luxury. So we had to set it up just right. And we did and pulled it off. But um, I, it's not, you know, I'm not typically a guy that watches movies more than once. So having said that, this is likely not a movie I would watch again. Um, and that's not a negative thing. It's just, it is so long. It is so heavy. And there is so much to process in it that, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a. I would just call it a masterpiece. So, well, that's yeah, that's fascinating. I think uh, it, so. Quick, quick question. I am not a Christopher Nolan fan. I've said that on this podcast a few times. Yeah, yeah. It, it, not because I think he makes bad movies, and I, it's not one of these like he sucks. It's just the style of movie he makes is feels um, they feel inhuman to me. Always, yeah. They are yeah, they are plot yeah. device driven. They are they're messing with time, but the characters themselves are plot devices rather than humans, and that's it. Just sort of doesn't like even if you watch like Mission Impossible, you're rooting for Ethan Hunt. Like totally. you're not rooting for any character in a Christopher Nolan movie. So the question is, uh, is is this did, did, is this different because it, it's about a man and 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 his and his you know the people around him? So does it feel more human than his other movies? Yeah, that's actually, I think that's a fair question. And I think if you talk to, if you talk to Nolan fanatics, you know, they'll, they'll actually admit to some of that, you know, and they, they will tell you that Interstellar was the one that has probably the most like emote in terms of the characters, the most emotional character development and content to it, you know, really, you know, about a father and a daughter and, you know, that whole thing. Um, and a lot of his other movies just don't do that because when they're, I think the nature of the kinds of movies he's making, you know, you can only cram so much, you know, he, he's a maximalist, right? So he is putting a lot into what he does and you yeah. only have so much space to do all the stuff, right? This one I, I would say is, I would say in terms of, you know, the emotional co character development. Yeah. There, I mean, you're watching this guy. You're, I mean, you're watching uh, J Robert Oppenheimer and you, you really do get into like his character and, I think he definitely. I, I would say see it, pipe, if you if you want to spare the time, but um, because I think you learn stuff too. So I didn't know a lot about the story. So it's educational, number one, and number two, you definitely get into the mind behind a guy that you know. I mean, look at what he created. You know, I mean, it mm -hmm. changed the world uh, for the worse. And um, <laughs> and what I what I love, what I'd love to hear you. Maybe we can talk about this in another pod because um, I think Ted would dig talking about this too. Is is it really what it what it surfaces is like is moral dilemmas and um, the tension when well we we I think we have to do we have no choice but to do this because if we don't they're going to do it if they do it first it means we we'll, we still have to do it second and like it, so it it really he doesn't answer those questions but he leaves those moral dilemmas just really floating and you have to make up your own mind so he's not preaching. You know, I, I would say he's yeah. not preaching to anybody. He's just saying, dude, this is what happened. This is the world we live in now <laughs> right. because of what we did, you know? So I, it, it really, so I would say if you could see it with a, see it with a, with some friends, get dinner, at, see an early showing, get, grab dinner afterwards. This is what we did. And you'll have a great conversation. So just for that, it's like, kind of look at it like it's the movie dinner and great conversation kind okay. of weeding in and out of all the stuff. You can make a whole day out of it. So it's kind of fun for that. I mean, it's three and a half hours. That's like breakfast to lunch. And then, you know, the conversation is happy hour. So that's great. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, so 
shifting back to sort of the phenomenon aspect of things, one of the things that stood out to me about kind of how all this happened is in, in this day and age, it feels like everything is curated except this, like different movie makers, different directors, entirely different styles of movies. And the best thing to happen to both of them was that the other exists. And, and, and so it, it became this sort of organic, uh, non-curated phenomenon of this is so amusing that we have this movie about you know this lighthearted movie next to this grim movie and and i don't know i I think i look at that and i'm like that does not happen really anywhere else where where for weeks on end it just sort of generates its own energy as opposed to like marketing dollars being poured into it and something being like I didn't feel manipulated by it. I just thought it was funny, and also, it, it, and it was coming from every different source. And so I look at it and I'm go. N- neither of these probably would have been the blockbuster they will be without the other. They, and 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 that wasn't uh, that wasn't intentional. That wasn't curated. That yeah. wasn't planned. They just the studios released their movies, and the best thing that like uh, what what is the um, I'm blanking on her name. The director of the Barbie movie. Um, oh, uh, Gerwig. Yeah, yeah. Gerwig. like yeah, Gerwig and Nolan should should just be like best buds from now on because because the best thing they did for one another was had was entirely by accident, but they made each other more famous and more rich. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you know, they are they're both good at what they do, and what I like about it, you know, to be honest, man, I I think everything you said is on point, I, and I it kind of gives you some hope that everything isn't manufactured. Everything can't be curated because nobody saw these two movies going together the way they have. It's impossible. You know what I mean? And so like, I, you kind of love that. You kind of love that there can be surprises and that like fun things can happen and you don't have to be angry about any of it, which is what I love. It's like, you know, nobody forces anybody to see a movie. Right. So, so to see people that are like getting dressed up and they're kind of turning Barbie into an event like they did back in the day with Harry Potter or even with Twilight. Again, it doesn't matter if you loved it or hated it. It just means that like, you know, people kind of turned it into like a fun event. And, you know, given just, oh my gosh, like the times we're living in, like, why is that a bad thing? It's like people can have a good time with it and enjoy it. And um, so I think for that, there was a charm to it, which was great. And then again, you know, kind of even, you know, Seeing Oppenheimer is a commitment, right? And it's not a light, fluffy movie, but it's like there's depth to it. And so people, you know, maybe people that would have only seen the Barbie movie are now seeing Oppenheimer, which is like, hey, I'm going to learn some things. It's going to cause some emotions to surface. It's going to cause me to sort of like think and question some things. So it it all just feels like kind of a win-win to me in a, in a weird, in a cultural way, in a weird way. So, um, so, you know, I say God bless it, everyone, you know, uh, why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I saw, I think the funniest comment I saw, you know, after Barbie movie released and there was all, you know, there's all these videos now coming out of people dressing up for it and whatever it was, it was a guy on Twitter. He's a black comedian. He said, he said, uh, Barbie is the white woman's black Panther. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it, I absolutely, I was like, that is that that was it just it captured so much because it's not even an insult this nobody's being insulted by this it's just it's just a hilarious a hilarious observation of sort of the, the cultural uh in, impact and yeah, i mean even just w- watching yeah like 38 year old women pull out their toys from their you know from their their totally. hope chest from you know at their in their mom's attic or whatever and be like <laughs> we're back it's our moment. You know, I know. And nobody's trying to, and, and what I like is like, it's nobody's trying to make it something it's not, you know? And but at the same time, um, gotten great reviews, you know, it, it's, she, uh, Gerwig did a great job, you know, like, uh, it's, it's, a, you know, I still want to see it, but I mean, across the board, everybody says it's great, you know? So, um, again, it, you know, anything can be done well. And it doesn't, yeah. you know, I mean, I didn't grow up playing with Barbies. Uh, you know, my, my daughter did a little bit. And um, so um, it's like, uh, what the heck? It's fun. And uh, see, I, I dig it for that for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. So uh, 
you know, we just spent a good while talking about something that's fun and awesome. Let's take a quick break and come back and talk about something that is entirely curated and definitely not fun or awesome right after this. All right. So I think, I think it was in the last week or two, uh, our, our favorite, um, internet dictator, Elon Musk made the, uh, made the announcement that he's going to rebrand Twitter as X. Um, just the letter X. And this comes on the heels of all of these other changes he's made to, to Twitter in terms of basically basically moving you to where you, you must subscribe to it or it will be of no use to you. Um, there are a lot of other things that have happened. But uh, it... And, and watching people react to this has been fascinating. Um, I, I can't decide if Elon Musk is a genius or an idiot, or a mad genius, or or just live. There's like an anarchist. I'm not totally sure. What? How have you seen people reacting? And then, like, how do you feel personally as somebody who has enjoyed and used Twitter? I would say use Twitter well. You know, kind of the non crazy version of Twitter. Uh, <laughs> how how have you reacted to this? And then, how have you seen other people kind of take this this really odd move? in yeah well thanks for saying what you just said i think um you know i as always i'm always surprised just like we talked about with threads i'm always surprised at i would say the extreme reaction um you know and you can probably educate me a little bit on this but um you know i does it really matter what it's called um you know to, to begin with and um you know elon musk i i i I think we can call the guy a genius. I don't know that we can call the guy a social media genius, right? I, I think he's an inventor. <laughs> and, you know, he's obviously has a mind, he has a mind for like technology and inventions and, you know, kind of a Howard Hughes type. So I, I think we can give him that. Um, when it comes to these other things, I think everybody's just kind of shaking their heads and kind of shrugging. But um, I, so you tell me, Pipe, I mean, I, it, it's, you know, I mean, he, he could kind of he could kind of rename it, rebrand it, anything. I mean, does that does that really make a difference? Is there a reason why everybody would be so, uh, you know, freaking out about I know everybody freaks out about everything because change is hard. But does it does it practically change it is what my question is. Well, it's, it's, it has been funny watching people's reactions because it's uh, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, there's if, if there's like when a church is renamed, you know, you have been first Baptist church of whatever town for forever. <laughs> right. And, and that comes with a lot of tradition, a lot of legacy, a lot of roots, as well as a lot of baggage, you know, for whatever yeah. reason. Um, and, and, you know, so the, the decision is made to rename it from first Baptist to something innocuous and it becomes like Oak, Oak branch community church or something right, like right, that. Right. And, uh, and people lose their minds over it. What is fundamentally changing about the church? The answer is nothing, right. except that people feel like they're losing something. And and so Twitter is like the absurd version of that because this thing is 15 years old. It's not even 15 years. I think it launched in 2009, didn't it? Maybe 2007. So nine, maybe it's 15 maybe years nine, old. Maybe yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have 2009 in mind. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, so this thing is less than 15 years old. None of us have have uh, invested anything in it, you know. Like we just use it; it's free, uh, or it has been up until now. And yeah. but it has also fundamentally changed social interactions in the same way. You know, we were talking at the beginning of the show about how this podcast has changed how we sort of view church moments and and all sorts of things. Because we're like, oh, that's a bit. Um, it, Twitter has changed. It's changed how we think. It's changed how we interact. It's open doors. It's done a lot of stuff. And so there's this sense of like, oh, it's all lost when this thing goes away. <laughs> and and in a sense, I feel that. Like if if I was excluded from Twitter all of a sudden, I would – it would feel really weird because it, it is an instinct for me to go, oh, I should tweet that. Or – totally. Yeah, I use it, you know, as an author, as a speaker, as a podcaster, use it to put, you know, put the word out there about stuff that goes away. How do you do that? I don't know, but I'm sure I can figure it out. Um, so, so, so there's a, 
I get the feeling, but but it, it man, does it feel outsized? And then like the outrage at Elon as if he is stealing from us, like he, oh, he's right, the yeah, ravening yeah. horde coming in and just like burning the crops and and tearing down the <laughs> village and torching the you know the the churchyard and all this stuff. You're like he just he bought a product and is doing what he wants with it. He bought a platform. Yeah. You can't be a capitalist and be mad at Elon. You can be a capitalist and think you're not going to make any money doing it that way. But but if you believe in like fair market, yeah, whatever. He's got yeah. a right to it. I, yeah. I'm not sure yeah. I agree. I am intrigued though, because one thing I didn't realize was we've always just used Twitter as social interaction. Like it's just where it's just sort of an information clearinghouse. I think he intends to turn it into like a, a multifaceted like social media meets e-commerce meets subscriptions okay. kind of yeah. thing. And I don't know if he yeah. can pull it off, but it does seem like sort of that is a next generation. I mean, if, if you if you're thinking technologically next generation, that's a that's a direction things are going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like every, you're talking about just like integration, like every, all in one, everything we do, everything on it and we can. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the church app, right? Church apps where it's like, mm -hmm. hey, you can all the information, including, you know, our calendar, sermons, how <laughs> to give, you know, it's like, I mean, it, I guess that's maybe, is that what you're saying? He's he's just going to kind of do, he's going to, he's going to beef it up is what you're saying? Well, yeah. And again, I'm reading like, like tech journalists who are sort of speculating. I don't know that he has said this, but yeah, there, there's sort of an integration. Now, of course, if you say church platform website, everybody's going to cringe because those are all clunky and terrible, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and uh, as bo both of us have to work in that world. And you're just like, anytime yeah. you have to open up the church database system, you're like, cross yourself, sprinkle some holy water on and then, you know, yeah, hope seriously. it goes okay. Um, but uh, yeah, my understanding is like he he's trying to move this to where it's not a user base, it's a customer base. Right. And, gotcha. and, and right now it's in that awkward in between where there's still a whole bunch of people who are just users, like millions upon millions, because the other thing is people go on Twitter to complain about Twitter, which is kind of irony personified. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm like, if he makes that shift and this becomes a, like a next generation Amazon competitor in some way or a subscription to online content or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a direction that it seems like technology and information consumption and entertainment consumption and uh, online retail and all this stuff. Like, it, if he can own that space, he may have just made himself a competitor to Amazon if if he can do it. And that's yeah, that's saying yeah. something. Yeah. No, and I think yeah, and I think it's just any time. Twitter's like a, it's a, it's a comfort item for people too. I think you just kind of laid that out where it's like, you kind of, you kind of fall back into, you know, reflectively, you know, you kind of, uh, reflexively, I don't know what the word is. You kind of fall back into like scrolling or using it or posting. And I think it, it's just become one of those things where it's like, you're, you're, you know, I like the blanket I have and now you're giving me something that I, that I'm not choosing because I've gotten <laughs> used to this and it's grown comfortable. Yeah. And I, and I, so, and it, so my question then now is this, let, let's kind of, let's kind of uh, go back to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about threads, ha, has threads just kind of lost a little bit of its luster? Do we see it just sort of doing more of a slow kind of growth, a slow build? Um, obviously everything that is, you know, hyped for a minute, like, you know, loses a little bit of that. So that's, that's to be expected, but do we feel like it, it has just become one of these things where everybody's kind of shrugging it off right now? What do you think? Well, I think, yeah, there was the initial, what Threads did that was genius was they launched when everybody was pissed at Elon. Yeah. And so they got a massive base right away. Plus they made it really easy to jump from Instagram over to there. And what was inevitably going to happen was that there was an initial spike and then there would be a fall off because people who love Instagram are not going to love Threads because Threads is a word-based platform. You know, you can do images, but that's not its thing. 
And then, so they, they rode the momentum, they built sort of a core, but then right out of the gates, the, the, uh, the primary developer was super active on there being like, this is basically a beta version. We still have a lot of features to build out. There's a lot to come. So this past week, they, they rolled out a following tab rather than just a, a single feed, which is super helpful. Uh, there's a lot of other things they can build in there. And, and so I think, I, think they, I think they were smart in capturing this huge amount of awareness. Yeah. Now they've lost a bunch of active users. I think people still have accounts. They just don't use it. But I think they will rebuild because I think Twitter is going to, to lose people as they move into this sort of subscriber model, whatever that looks like. Um, and I think Threads is only going to get stronger technologically. I mean, they, they are backed by Facebook, which means they, they have the capability. They're owned by Facebook. They have the capability to do build outs. They can do that. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think they will... I think they I think they'll probably get stronger. I I would not be surprised though if, you know, the, the strength of Twitter and Facebook was that they were there first. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and anything that launches next is only going to have a fraction of what was there first. Yeah. But I think it can one, replace yeah. I think it can replace a lot of what people liked about Twitter 7 8 years ago. As well as as well as building in some additional features, and then you know Mark Zuckerberg comes out ahead because he now has all these people using his platform instead of Twitter. Yeah, I know it's funny you said that because to me it was like it's it's almost like if they could market it like this, they're essentially saying like for those of you who loved the old Twitter, you know, go to Threads, kind of a thing. Um, and so, and then it, not only that, but it's linked to Instagram, so it you know kind of going back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where it's it's generally a little more positive and it's good vibes. And, um, you know, you could just, you could just, you could just sort of quote unquote, accomplish all of your work on basically one platform, which is Instagram threads, if you want it, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting how it's going to, it's interesting how it's going to go, but I think you're right. Um, there's nothing like being first out of the gate and it just is what it is. So the thing about threads is that it's just a continuation of something that was already there. It's nothing new. Um, and what, you know, so the question then would be like, what could, you know, what could emerge in terms of social media platforms that would sort of like change the game the way Facebook, Twitter, Instagram did, like what, what would be, what could they introduce that would be, Oh, wow. Or, you know, I should add TikTok to that as well, but like, so out of those, out of those big four, like what, what could they, what could somebody like invent or establish that, that would be like, Oh shoot. Now we have to be on that. Right. Yeah. Well, and it, man, it's so hard to say, especially like, I feel like the older I get, the less I, the less I can predict what the, the younger generation, like my kid's generation is oh, going totally. to have an affinity for. Um, and, and I don't just mean like kids these days. I just mean like they, they fall in love with stuff that I have no understanding of that. I'm like, why that makes no sense to me. The, the affinity for video in general is lost on me. Um, I hate video based <laughs> platforms. You know, I, I, I like know. watching videos when <laughs> in the context is right, but like FaceTiming, for example, I'm like, no, nah, get that mess out of here. That's evil. Um, and so I couldn't, you know, I, TikTok is a thing that I'm like, yeah, I don't, I will never use it because I hate the whole premise. Um, but it, it is massive and it, and it's internationally massive, which is another piece. Like there's a global component to this. Um, but yeah, I think, so it's really hard to say, but I, I think, uh, there's also sort of a chicken egg question here, which is just social developers create trends or follow trends. You know, and it, yeah, it seems good. to me that, that threads is following a trend, not creating yeah. a trend. It's, it's actually more like, uh, you know, how, how retro is in it's sort of social media retro where it's like, Hey, we're going to throw back to when you liked this thing called yeah. Twitter, except we're going to call right. it threads and, and it's kind of genius. So it, yeah, I don't, I don't have any idea where things are going next. I do think threads is going to work. I don't think it will ever be as big as Twitter was just because right. you've got a fragment of a fragment at this point. Yeah, no, it's true. I know. And it, yeah, and of course, you know, nobody can predict these things. And if they were predictable, then we'd be seeing a completely different landscape anyway, <laughs> you know? So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
All right, well, let's take a quick break and come back with one more question, uh, and, uh, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So uh, we will discuss seminary. So all of you listeners, wait with bated breath. We'll be back right after uh, this. So fun. All right, Ronnie, you posed the question in our in our seven second uh, show prep text exchange. Yeah, does seminary matter? Uh, which is a, a good discussion for us to have because you have been in seminary at some form, some way or another, for like eight years now, basically as long as I've known you. And because uh, I think you got one or two master's degrees, and you're working on is it a demon right now? Yeah, and, got a master's at Trinity Demon, doing my demon at Midwestern. Okay, right yeah, I just I feel like you have been seminary adjacent or seminary invested for a long, long time, and obviously I'm at Grimke Seminary right now, working on a master's in, in theological studies. Uh, so, does seminary matter? Uh, you posed the question, and I feel like it's only fair for you to go first, so I can figure out how to avoid getting uh, insulted and, and barraged by people. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, you know, of course it matters, right? So it's just, it's, it's, you have to ask it that way, right? So that you can actually, you know, engage in a discussion. So right. I think off the top, I would say, of course it matters. Um, I think, I think what we can tease out is like, to what degree does it matter and what about it matters, right? And um, because I, you know, so being part of it, being part of Harbor Network, you know, a lot of young pastors, um kind of coming up through the ranks and, you know, I don't know what like, I don't know what ministry was like 30, 40 years ago in terms of guys that were coming into ministry in different roles, you know, kind of having, you know, a, a seminary education being required um, and being very difficult in some ways, especially if you weren't just fresh out of college um, and you already had a family and, you know, all of these challenges that go with that. And I think now um, I, I would say it's, I don't know. I don't have any hard stats for this. I'm just going uh, This is anecdotal, just kind of looking at sort of the, the face of our network. And I would say that it's, it feels like about half and half where you got guys that are, um, they just, they're, they're coming in with ministry experience, um, more than they have, you know, seminary education. And, um, and I'm always kind of stepping back going, okay, what, how, how, how are each of those things beneficial to what these guys are doing? Yeah. And, um, you know, some people come in with seminary education, but not a ton of experience. Some people come in with a ton of experience, no seminary education. And you just, you kind of just weigh it in the balance and you go, okay, um, should the people with experience, should they pursue, you know, something kind of like probably you, you, you and I have done or, um, you know, and do people coming in with the seminary education need to, you know, kind of just kind of pull back and go, Hey, I got a lot of room to grow. I need a lot of experience. And I would say both of those things could be true, but what, what does it tip into, uh, you know, what do we, what do we tend to see it tipping more into and what's more valuable in terms of, of both those scenarios. And so, um, yeah, I think being in seminary for as long as I have, uh, it, I'm, I'm always kind of weighing that out and wondering how has this benefited me? What areas has this benefited me in? I mean, you never can say education is, but it, you know, education is never bad, you know, to learn right. and to grow and to be in that context of it. I mean, how, how can you, you can't throw shade at that. It's just, it's, it, it would be impossible to say, no, that's ridiculous. It's completely, you know, unimportant or completely not valuable. I think that's a, that would be a ridiculous statement. But, um, but again, I don't think it's wrong to tease it out. And I think it's also um, okay to say it might not be the best idea for many people. So I don't know. I threw out a lot there. I'd love to get your thoughts on one or two of those things. Yeah. I, I answering the question, does seminary matter? I would say, uh, if I was, you know, if, if we were weighing things in a scale, it would weigh heavily towards yes. Now yeah. for me, the question is when, because education is wasted on the young, uh, and of course, I'm of course I'm coming at this with a with a biased perspective because I didn't start seminary until I was thirty eight, something like that. And yeah. so you know, so so there's a, but that means that I approach it in a way where I I have some ministry experience under my belt. I have been uh, gone through a decent amount of sort of humiliation, humbling, refinement in my life. 
so that when I'm when I'm taking a class on you know just a basic sort of New Testament theology class or systematic theology class, I'm absorbing that into life versus you know what what you see in like a 24 year old seminarian or 26 year old seminarian often is that that is life you know they view yeah. life as systematic theology and I'm like well, well good luck in your marriage that's what I tell you because. Uh, your wife does not give a crap about your systems, you know? And so <laughs> th th there has to be, there has to be some life tempering this thing. And so yes, seminary matters because I, if, if I went to a church and I found out that none of the pastors had been to seminary, I wouldn't immediately mistrust them, but I would have a lot of questions. Like, what is your theological background? Like, what, what, how have you been trained? What are your influences? Who are you learning from? So sort of these yeah. basic fundamental questions in, in the same way that if I went to a business and found out no one had a college degree, I wouldn't immediately think, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. Like, is, is the business working? Okay. But also like, how did you guys get here? What kind of training? How have you learned the, so Yes, I think it's immensely valuable. I think we could probably untraditionalize the sequence of events. I think going straight from college into seminary should be downplayed. I don't mm. think it's wrong. I think mm. it might be wasted. Also, probably not a great use of money a lot of times if you're going into more debt for it. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas getting into ministry, spending a few years uh, either volunteering at a church or getting clarity on your calling or being called as an assistant pastor, a youth pastor, whatever, then going to seminary so that it is a, it's, it's merging with your experience. Really helpful. Uh, you know, not every class is equally as helpful as others, but one of the things that I have appreciated most about Grimke is that everybody there is a practitioner of some sort, you know, mm -hmm. They are either and, and they are all in partnership with their local church, like by the part of the degree is having a an overseer at your church, whether that's a, you know, a lead pastor, an elder, whatever, who is filling out evaluations, who is filling out. This is the plan of this person's ministry progress and so forth. And uh, and it makes a difference in the room because the questions people ask, like, people aren't in pissing matches over uh, obscure theological points. They yeah, are in, right. in, they're asking questions like, Hey, in my ministry context, we see this. How would I, how would I teach this in that context? How would I communicate this? Those kinds of things. And that's, that's pretty profoundly helpful. Yeah. Those, I think those are all, I think those are all uh, really good, really good points. And I think, um, you know, I think we have benefited too from, you know, just the, you know, the hybrid models that have emerged. I know that there's, I know when you get some of the old school guys that had to go, you know, gosh, have nine jobs, do seminary, raise their, you know, child that they had just had as they were starting off and they were 24 years old. I, you know, I, I know that people look back on that and the struggle and, you know, living full time, you know, within the environment of, you know, uh, you know, you know, classes, you know, all day classes and, you know, the sort of the, the valuable aspect of that. And so I know, I know there's always a little back and forth on that because now we're living in a, in an age where technology has helped us be able to just, you know, do hybrid, you know, uh, studies where we, you know, yeah. we, we, we go once a semester, we travel, do some in-person studies, but mainly it's online, you know, and I think that, I think to your point, which is, you know, maybe let guys, you know, get into ministry, let them get some experience, let them figure out how God has wired them for ministry before they, you know, dive into seminary. I, I think we're able to do that now, which I, I just don't see how that's a, a bad thing necessarily, because it just reinforces it. Instead of just going, you know, instead, it, it's like an 18 year old that, that goes into college, you know, it's like, that is the system that we have. And then, you know, what 18 year old starting college wanting to become this ends up, you know, graduating in four years with, with, you know, with that same emphasis, it's like very few probably, right? right? Because it's like, you're at an age where you don't know what you want. You couldn't possibly know what, what you want because you're, you haven't fully developed as a, as a human being at that age. And so I think seminary even, you know, even maybe even more so in some ways, because, you know, it's hard to know, you know, 
how God is calling you into the ministry and what direction he's calling you, even if he is calling you into the ministry, because you, this, this can shoot out in so many different directions. So I think, yeah, I think it's valuable. And I think we're in a great time where we have the availability to actually make it work so that we're not uprooting our entire, in our entire lives. Like maybe they had to do back. Yeah. Not that many years ago. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, my, my dad graduated college at, at Wheaton, and moved to Pasadena to be a full-time seminary to get his MDiv at, at Fuller. Um, and that, I mean, that, that was, that was how you did seminary. If you were called to ministry. Now the benefit to that is, um, is a preparation for a wholehearted dedication to a thing. The downside yeah. to that is if you get halfway through and you go, this isn't for me, I'm not called, uh, you now live in a place you didn't intend to live. You have less money than you would have had otherwise. And, uh, and there's just like, you're like, Oh, that was it. I just burned that year down. Um, what, one other thought I had on this, just thinking about sort of seminary versus not seminary. One of the greatest benefits to people who have for people who have a seminary degree is higher ability. Um, yeah, for sure. A lot of churches aren't in a position to hire from within. I think that's the best way for a church to, to like, if you want to call a pastor, ideally you're calling from within the church. You know, these people, you've seen them at work. Like there, there's not a question of character. There's not a question of, of competency. There's not a question of calling. Like they, they've checked all the boxes. And so you can call from within and then theologically educate. Um, yeah. But if you're calling somebody from outside, you know, you're a smaller church, a rural church. I feel like, Ronnie, yeah. maybe you just wrote a book on pastoring in a context, yeah. something like that. Uh, yeah, you're not going to have the availability. You're probably not going to be able to go inside. Yeah, so. a ton of your people are, are they're, they're, they're working Joes, if you will. They, you know, they, they work at a factory. They are farmers. They are blue collar. They are, they, they, you know, they, they, they run the local gas station, whatever it is not necessarily called to ministry. So you have to call from the outside. It really helps to look and go, okay, this person got their MDiv from pick a reliable seminary, yeah. or this person got their MDiv from a seminary I've never heard of. Ugh, I don't know anything about that. It's not a necessarily a no, but it raises questions. And so it's a little bit like, do you self publish or publish with a publisher? And like, if you're published with the Good Book Company or with Crossway or with Moody or with B and H, like there's a there's a there's an arena of reliability there, where yeah, people go, sure. okay, this is this book is is likely trustworthy because it's it's got that brand of approval on it, that kind of thing. So that's that is a, that is an area where for small churches and and churches who don't have big networks and churches who can't call from within. Seminary provides a certain amount of at least initial like, okay, this, this guy probably falls into a theological arena we're comfortable with. He's been educated by people we're aware of, those kinds of things. If you have the capacity to call from within your church, that's not as important. And then you can move into what kind of theological education, ministerial education is beneficial. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. I mean, you have to have sort of a measuring rod, you know, and, um, and you know, ministry can be very vague. Because certainly, yeah. you know, certainly you have guys that for whatever reason, you know, uh, their path didn't lead them through seminary. And yet, um, you know, gosh, they, just their personal study time, the books they've read, uh, the conferences they've attended, uh, the mentors they've had. I mean, they're they're, they're doing great. You know, yes. um, they're doing they're doing fine. And um, and it just might be that the Lord did not have their path sort of swing through uh, you know, um, you know, a, a, a particular, you know, a, a certain amount of time or season in seminary. Yeah. Um, but I think to your point, um, yeah, what do you do if uh, you're not part of a network, you're an independent church or a small town church, you're a small church. So the availability of, of, uh, you know, knowing who it is you're hiring, um, it's just like anybody's resume. Hey, where did you used to work? Um, that's going to give me an idea of what you're coming in with. I think it doesn't always doesn't answer all the questions, but it gives you a it, it gives you a, just sort of a, a stepping off point for sure. So I think, yeah, even for that, even for guys that are like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do or where I'm going to land. It's like, well, this helps other people to know at least where you're at theologically in some way, shape right. or form. And that that's that matters, you know. Yeah. And, and in the same way that there are people who didn't go to seminary, but are, you know, they're 
deep biblical thinkers. They're they're gifted teachers. They they kind of they have the pastoral. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's pastoral gifting, if you will. Uh, yeah. There are people who have seminary degrees who you're like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them teach five year old Sunday school. You know, like there's hundred yeah, percent right. A, semin- a seminary degree proves that you you did a certain amount of work. That's all it actually proves. But it opens up awareness of other possibilities in terms of there's a possibility we are theologically aligned. There's the possibility this person is called those kinds of things. And so you know. You don't want to rule out people who don't have it. You don't want to assume that people who do have, uh, you know, a, a master's degree or an NMDiv are are pastorally qualified. But it does help frame the thinking and the kinds of questions you ask. If I see that somebody has an MDiv from Southeastern or Midwestern or Covenant Seminary or RTS, I'm going to ask different questions yeah, than a guy sure. who's not seminary trained. Simply to 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 gain the clarity on are are you pastorally gifted and called. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, you know, I mean, it's been said a thousand times. I mean, going to seminary doesn't qualify anybody uh, for ministry. Um, you know, it can help. You know, I mean, I mean it, it can help you, you know, sort of, uh, you know, ascertain your call. Um, it can also, you know, what it does, too, is it is it allows you to, um, you know, we all have things that we're going to in, in ministry. We all have things that are that we're going to lean into a little bit more heavily. We're going to have more specialized things within ministry that the Lord has gifted us for other things. Mm -hmm. Not so much, you know, seminary just kind of helps kind of narrow down, you know, this is what I can do in ministry. This is, this is, you know, um, this is something that I have, I've, I've discovered a passion for. Um, this is something, this is a talent or a gifting I've discovered through seminary, um, that I didn't really know that I had because I didn't have the opportunity to, to discover it otherwise. And, um, and then, so it actually helps you, um, in the ministry, um, you know, become a little more specialized in things that, um, yeah. you know, the Lord maybe has naturally gifted you for. So I, you know, I mean, I think it helps in terms of that, of that too. So always valuable. Um, I think I would just say for those, for those people who haven't had the benefit of it, I mean, you know, there's not a part of you that should believe that this is something that would have made you more qualified or, you know, in terms of your call, because that doesn't really have much to do with it. And, um, but you can be studious. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. And I think you can, you at can its basis, seminary is um, you not, can be, you can li- go ahead. I was gonna say, at, at its basis, seminary is not, um, it has nothing to do with calling. It has everything to do with, with preparation and readiness. Training, yeah. Absolutely. And so, which is the thing that people who have been pastors for 20 years should still be investing in. So not necessarily seminary, but ongoing readiness, preparation, training, improvement, which is why, you know, pastors should be readers, pastors should be listeners, pastors should be aware of who, who is, who is a, who's a distinct theological voice that would benefit me. Pastors should be aware of the, you know, the, the people who have the classics and people books have been around forever. So it's not, it, it's just on that spectrum, on that arc. It's not a. It's, there's nothing magic about it. But for guys who are just getting in, it it, it has some benefits on that front. Uh, but not. I think that I think there's still a mindset, especially amongst full time seminary students, often that you know I went to whatever Christian university. I'm not going to go to whatever solid seminary, and then I'm going to be ready for the pastor. And the answer is, hundred percent, you're not. But. <laughs> in the same way that nobody's ever ready to be married either, but you do it and then you learn on the fly and you, and you, you know, by God's grace, you figure it out. Yeah, no, for sure. No, it's a good word. It's a good word. I just, I, for me, I, for, you know, um, for me, I was a guy that got into ministry first and then seminary came later. And, um, you know, I, I was thankfully, I was around, I was around mostly, um, highly trained guys seminarians, professors. Um, I think what was beneficial to me was that I never once felt, you know, a lot of these guys were gracious dudes, you know, so they, they never made me feel like I was less than them. Um, and I was definitely being mentored and trained by, by many of them, but I, I know ne- they never made me feel like that. I, I was not quali- I was not as qualified as them. And that was really helpful. And so that really left an impression on me in my younger years that if, you know, if I ever, you know, if I ever got seminary trained or, you know, got some degrees, you know, don't ever do that to somebody, you know, like let the Lord steer their path. You can influence them if you feel like they have a, 
hey, you know what? I just, I can't stop thinking about seminary. I'd, lo- I'd love to maybe delve into this. Like, yeah, help them out, you know, kind of guide them down that path if that's what they desire. If that's not something they desire or they're not really um, in, a, in, a, in a season of life where it's, it's going to be good and, and helpful to them or flourishing for them, they can always wait. And, but they should be made to feel like they're still, you know, doing good gospel ministry with or without it. As long as like you just said, hey, be a learner. And, um, you know, be somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, you know, challenging yourself and educating yourself in those ways, for sure. Well, I think that's a good uh, a good final word for this. I mean, it, it, one of the most seminary things we could do would be to talk longer than we ought to about a thing that people are already <laughs> like, yeah, I got this, which we may have already done. So let's uh, let's lay in the plane on this. Uh, listeners, September 24th, 7 p.m., Soma Church Midtown, Indianapolis. We will have our last ever live show. Come on out and join us. Go to thehappyrant.com. Hit the live show for ticket information uh, to get the standard ticket or the VIP ticket package that includes the custom t-shirt. We would love to see you out there. It's going to be a blast. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.